Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Winding About Real Estate. I'm Quincy Virgilio. I'm Nicolette Virgilio. And today we have Ethan Pepper with us. Hi, I'm Ethan from Orchard City Wealth Management. So the first thing you might notice is we don't have any wine. <laughs> Who forgot the wine? My bad. <laughs> My bad. Well, next month we'll have two bottles. So we thought with everything that's going on in the uh, economics of the world, the banks and everything else, we'd bring in somebody that knows something about financial planning, uh, tax planning, and be able to answer a lot of our questions that our uh, friends and clients have regarding what's going on. And Ethan is a pro. So Ethan, come join us and tell us everything we need to know about how you're going to Keep your money safe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, thanks for helping me or having me. You know, it's the, the market has been quite volatile lately. Mm-hmm. So with uh, with the banks failing or two recent big banks failing and um, interest rates all over the place, you know, some some clients are, are concerned about what's going on in the economy. Sure. Reasonably so. Some so. clients are very happy though too. We had rates drop and some buyers are excited this week. Yeah, rates did fall, I guess, last week because of the volatility of the marketplace. Right. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. But the the do you remember when you're a kid and one kid sat that's a teeter totter, one kid yeah. sat on the other side and it does this. So yeah. the relationship between interest rates and and bond prices is that when interest rates fall, bond prices rise, and when bond prices fall, interest rates rise. Right. So we had this in, inverse relationship happen last week where people were scared, they ran to bonds, drove the prices of bonds up, and then dropped interest rates. So it has this sort of of inverse relationship. You know, it's interesting. I guess what we should probably start talking about a little bit is, um, you know, what you do for a living is to help people prepare their financial future. You uh, help them, uh, you know, financially plan what's going to happen, including by purchasing homes or selling homes or diversifying their portfolio and everything else. Wealth yeah. management. Wealth management, right? So maybe we talk a little bit about what it is that you could do to help people yeah. Better prepare and or even if they're in a situation now where they own a home, they just don't have a wealth plan in place. Yeah. So um, so we're a comprehensive fee wealth management firm. Um, we work with a lot of equity or tech professionals who have equity compensation mm-hmm. in the Bay Area, obviously. Um, you know, we take a look at their, their sources and uses of cash flow. What are the what are the income coming in? What are the big expenses they anticipate over the next couple of years? Um, you know, what's their equity console stock options, restricted stock units? employee stock purchase plans, a lot of analysis around, you know, what to do and, and how to exit those um, those uh, stocks in a tax-efficient manner. Do you think that most people um, who are, have the uh, stock options or RS, RSOs, RSUs, RSUs, yeah. RSUs uh, do they think they understand how to use them best or is there, I mean, do they get trained by their company or no? Yeah, no. 99% of the time um, when a new client comes to us, they really don't have any idea of how these things work. And so stock options, there's two different flavors of stock options. Restricted stock units is a form of equity compensation. Um, there's performance stock units. That's a form of equity compensation. So most of the time, new clients will come to us and say, hey, I don't understand how these work. When do I exit them? Yeah, when can I use them? When can I use them? I want to buy a house and I have all this money, right. but I don't know how to get out of it. Right. So um, a lot of the work we do is around education on, on how to get out of those and how these things work and what's a what's an exit strategy and then what's the tax ramification of, of exiting these. And right. then what do you do with the money? You know, yeah. you've got this big pot of money. What do you do with it? Well, right. then you go buy a house or, you know, whatever you want to do. Right. So the, the RSUs come with tax implications, obviously, too. They do. So yeah. part of your strategy in, in helping people is in tax planning, I guess, as well, right? A lot of tax planning. Yeah. So, um, 
a lot of tax planning in terms of, you know, if I'm working with a couple, then they're both working. So it's, hey, send me your most recent paycheck stub. Let's look at your RSU vestings. You know, do you own a home? Are you going to itemize deductions this year? Are you claiming the standard deduction? Um, maybe there's uh, an opportunity to buy, uh, purchase a house at mm-hmm. some point in this year. Okay, mm-hmm. well, let's have, let's look at the tax benefits to purchasing a house. You know, what's the mortgage interest deduction going to be like? Can we deduct our property taxes? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of, of tax planning and then really helping set expectation for clients about, hey, I think your tax bill is going to be X or Y at the end of the year. And then here are a couple of tax reduction strategies we should consider thinking Mm. about. And all of this should be happening prior to starting to look for a house. Well, certainly. Quite a few of our buyers have said, oh, well, we have X number. Yes, it's liquid, but don't understand what happens when they liquidate it, then we buy, then they're going to have taxes, not only on their property, but also on the money that they've taken out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of tax process. planning, uh, we dive into understanding insurance. So, um, uh, you know, do we have enough life insurance? What about disability insurance? What about long-term care? What about homeowner's insurance when you buy that house? Is right. there sufficient coverage there? Uh, what about their auto? Do I need an umbrella liability mm-hmm. policy? So mm-hmm. the idea is we provide an objective third-party opinion. We don't sell the product, right? right so right. we say, hey, we'll work with your agent or, or broker to make sure you get enough life insurance in place or you, you have sufficient enough homeowner's insurance when you buy that house. Right, so you're covered should anything go wrong or anything happen, any catastrophic the, uh, issues come up, you're covered. So right. you're not only protecting them personally, but protecting their wealth and everything That's else correct. at the same time. Right. Which is great. I mean, a lot of people don't go down that road and think that far ahead. They just uh, jump in and I next thing you know. I think it's an overwhelming thought, and that's why I just wanted a glass of wine, and I really <laughs> wish we had one. You're not ready? You're not ready? I am ready. We forgot the dang wine. <laughs> oh, I'm talking about it from a financial standpoint of all these uh, vehicles that Ethan's talking about. So is, is there any type of way... Like in, in uh, real estate, you know, we have the 1031 exchange where I could sell a, a, an investment property and buy an investment property and, and have no gain in taxes. You know, yep. move, move. Is there a way for RSUs to out, out, out the same way? There is, um, and it, it gets a bit technical, mm-hmm. but I can give you an example. There was um, an Apple employee that I, I spoke with last year, and, you know, he's been there since... He's early employee, employee number one, right? Yeah, so he has a ton of Apple stock. So now he's got he's never sold those shares. Oh so he's had, no. he's accumulated these shares over the year, which has been great from a net worth and balance sheet perspective. But now he's got this big tax bill, and the yeah, tax tail's wagging the dog, right? So right. he doesn't want to sell those Apple shares because he's going to be hundreds hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax. So he could put that into what's called an exchange fund. And essentially what you're doing is you're exchanging your, in this case, Apple shares, it goes into a fund and now um, he's diversified. So the only, the only issue it, that it really helps is it diversifies his portfolio out of Apple. Mm-hmm. But it's just kicking that tax can yeah, down, down the road, very similar to a 1031 exchange, yeah. right? So his so, eggs aren't all in one basket now, and he can correct. spread his uh, risk over other companies. But he right. still can't get the money and um, you know run away with it without paying any tax, <laughs> right? Right. And then there's yeah. more advanced techniques like writing options and calls and puts, oh, um, but yeah. I don't see that very often. Yeah. So well, those are some complicated strategies. I know a lot of people think it's easy to you know call short or call long on a stock and make millions of dollars, but there are, if everyone was able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> we would just sit on the beach right now, exactly. sipping wine, filling yeah, it. We wouldn't wonderful. have our wine, and it wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, there's so much to talk about in, in the area of financial planning. And let's, let's, uh, let's pretend that um, our audience doesn't know what to do. What's their first step? What do they do? How do they get a hold of you? What do, they, what do they need to bring you? What do they have to do? Yeah, so I think it's, you know, a lot of uh, people um, that are coming to me now are doing the research on what a financial advisor is. And I use mm-hmm. air quotes because uh, what I often find is that um, advisors um, are just selling products, mm-hmm. right? So they're not solving problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so, uh, and so in 2006, I became what's called a fee-only advisor. And the way we're compensated is a flat fee based on the advice we give. Some, some advisors are compensated on an hourly basis, mm-hmm. or some are charged a percentage of the assets that they're managing. So mm-hmm. if you got a million bucks, you charge 1%, yeah. fees $10,000 a year. Yeah. So I prefer to work that way because the client knows that um, the advice that I'm giving them uh, uh, is in their best interest, mm-hmm. and I'm holding myself as, as a fiduciary. Yeah. yeah. So there are a bunch of at the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors is an organization of uh, fee-only advisors. Um, there's the Financial Planning Association. There's the XY Planning Network. So you know a lot of a lot of clients who are looking for an advisor can simply do a Google search and, and search up fiduciary financial advisor advisor near me, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of advisors will, will pop up. So the 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 idea being is that if you're helping a, a, a someone and they have a million dollars and it's a let's say one percent fee. And you now bring their one million dollars through your advice. They do the things you're saying, and it goes to one million five hundred thousand dollars. Your fee is now one percent of one five. So you do well when they do well. That's correct. And it doesn't and happen. Advice, this way. It could go the other way yeah, too. But that's well. not what we do. So <laughs> <laughs> we only go up, just like real estate. Only up, up, up. Only Hang up. in there. It's all coming back. <laughs> but uh, but a lot of people don't understand it. They don't. And a lot of people, I think, are. Um, just they just don't know what to do and how to prepare themselves for something like that. I think at what level too, like mm-hmm. at what point of you know how many stocks do I need? How much right. do I need to have in the bank? You know, at what point do I need a planner in my life to help me navigate through? Yeah. I mean, there's been many people that I know that have worked in tech, and tech seems to jump a little bit more around company-wise, they have 401ks here and yeah. stocks there and then stuff here, mm-hmm. invested there and there and there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just get frustrated with it and just let it sit and don't do anything. Right. I right. know several people in that situation. So that's a good question. Is there a minimum entry level? I have to have $5 to come to you? Well, you know, the the, the way I... I would th- hope it was more. The, the company, <laughs> to your comment, Nicola, I think the way I think of it is complexity, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're a single individual W-2 employee, you've got a great job and a 401k, maybe your situation is fairly simple. Um, if you're married, got a couple kids, got a mortgage, got rental property, maybe you own a business, maybe you do have equity compensation, maybe you've got tax concerns, you want to put the little kids through college, mm-hmm. you've got a portfolio, you've got old 401ks floating out there, that's complexity. Even right. though yeah. a lot of clients don't think they're complex, there's a lot of moving parts to that puzzle. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's who I tend to attract because I enjoy the, com- the compl- I enjoy putting all of those pieces of the puzzle together. It's the way I think of it as an analysis. Um, and and I can do great. I can drive great value for those type of folks. Right. And whereas this first case, you know, my fee is going to be too large. To, I can't drive my fee and then some. So, who right. would someone seek in that kind of 
initial phase position. For, Probably, you know, an, for people that are listening to this, because it's going to be all different kinds of yeah, people. Yeah, it's going to be all over. Yeah. Uh, maybe an advisor who works on an hourly basis, and okay. that advisor, she or he, could say, hey, you know, here are the steps you need to take, and, you know, that they work with them for an hour or two. And that's still someone that's going to direct, you know, for a trust or for tax planning. Right. But just on a smaller scale. On a smaller right? scope. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Scope of work. Um <laughs> Yeah, and, and and there are some advisors who are just going to talk about investments. There are some advisors who only want to do the planning work. Mm. So there, there's there's different key uh, there's different um, things to look for an advisor as well. Um, there are uh, advisors who only want a million dollar minimum, right? Yeah. Right, or five million dollar minimum, right? Yeah. right? So mm. that's that's an important question to ask too. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, that first organization I mentioned, the National National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, has a a questionnaire that. That, um, that viewers can download and take that questionnaire when you're interviewing other advisors. Oh, so idea. it would be a great resource. So you're encompassing all aspects, insurance, you're advising on insurance, on wealth planning, on stock investments, real estate investments, and trying to get up a, like a complex, comprehensive look at everything that they may be involved in. Right. All right, good. That's good to know. So uh, let me shift subjects here for a second. Um Everyone knows what's been going on in the banking industry the last few weeks. Yeah. Uh, what I don't, I'm, I'm not looking for a. This is what's going to happen, but how does it affect everybody that you're helping right now? Yeah. First off, um, uh, have, clients have called me and said, "Hey, do I have FDIC insurance coverage?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, for those people who are using an FDIC bank, which can be different than um, a, a credit union, right? right? State charter. Yeah. Um, it's $250,000 per person, per depositor, per institution. So if you have a married couple that has $500,000, they both have $250,000 of FDIC insurance coverage. If they have $750,000 on deposit, well, then there's $250,000 that's not insured. Mm-hmm. So they might want to take that $250,000 or, or a bit more and move it to a different bank. Mm-hmm. So, so let me just ask one quick question there. So let's just say a married couple, um, they have a million dollars. But they have four accounts. Is that covered two fifty each? Uh, no, it's two fifty per person. institution. Per ins- wow. Yeah, per deposit per institution. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, unless you're one of the pop- the banks that uh, failed and the government steps in, which is what happened. That's correct. And they're protecting them, right? Correct. Now. Yeah. Right. Which is, that's not going to happen if they all went down. <laughs> right. This, so. Silicon Valley Bank was a little bit different because they really cater towards the VC community right. and the right. startup community. Right. They're not your typical. You know, big bank that has typically deposits that are under two hundred fifty thousand right, dollars. Right, so that right. was that was one issue. And then their investment committee, um, you know, with with interest rates rising, the value of their bond portfolio went down. Yeah. So that analogy I used previously, and so right. that what caused that's what caused a big loss. Yeah, and then that piece what you're talking about, where a lot of I don't know how many banks, but there was some advice from the Fed, I think, that said buy the bonds when interest rates were low, um, and that kind of backfired for them a little bit, but. Yeah. But hey, we're all we all take risks. You take risks when you buy a house. You take risks when you buy stock. You take right. risks when you walk out the door. Right. You know, so it's just a, a risk that people take. And fortunately, the the federal government sees the value of making them whole uh, because of the type of stuff that they're involved with, mm-hmm. the, the investment community and, and and international money too that's in their banks. So, right. So it's important. Um, the more I think about the banking thing, and again, the benefit of what happened was some lower rates for a little bit. Um, helps people be able to decide, you know, where I keep my money, how much money I keep in what bank, and not to say, well, the government's going to bail me out no matter what. So I have to start thinking if I have money in 
several in one institution, and it's over that two hundred fifty thousand dollar limit for me personally, married or unmarried. If, um, I need to start thinking about where I put the other money. Right. Yes. Away. Right. 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 right away. Yeah. And that's a, that's an easy action item that that uh, get viewers can do right away. Is if they're, if they're over that deposit limit, then consider opening a different online an online bank or you know or a traditional bank. brick and mortar bank. Yeah, I think I saw the news the other day that Bank of America got like nine billion dollars put into it last week. The big four got yeah. massive inflows. Yeah. Massive inflows. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good because they bring money in, they got to lend it out. So, <laughs> right? You're that's right. what they do. They, yeah. so they lend out deposits. So. They lend out deposits or they, they buy bonds, right. you know? Right. Some. So what else should we be thinking about here in the world of financial planning, uh, wealth management, um, risk management? What's really, really uh, a step that a person right now should say, I need to call Ethan or I need to uh, start with Ethan, and Ethan can send me. You know, you're not. You don't. You yeah. don't. You don't have what I need, but you need this. Is that people could do that with you? Yeah. Let's just. I'll give the example of estate planning because that's uh, it's a common um, a common question that I have clients come to. So they own a house, you know, couple, and they maybe they have a net worth of greater than one hundred fifty thousand dollars in California. Um, they may want to consider talking with an estate planning attorney to get his or her recommendation as to whether they need a living trust. Yeah. And whether that trust should own that house. Or not? Mm. Um, Why would that be something at a certain level? I don't Isn't know. it for everyone who owns a house? Well, uh, it's not necessarily about a house, but more around net worth, mm. right? And, and so the whole idea of, of a living trust is to avoid the probate, the probate. process, and, and that's the process where the state of California determines right. who's going to receive Nicolette's assets if, if she passes. No yeah. one, yeah. right? <laughs> and so you know, if you don't necessarily want the state of California determining or dictating who's going to receive your assets, well, you've got to write that down, mm-hmm. right. either in the form of a will or, or a, a living trust. And so I encourage clients to go visit with an estate planning attorney to get their recommendations to say, hey, do we need a living trust? Do we need a will? What about a financial power of attorney? What about a health directive? So that attorney may say, at, what, at this point, you need a trust. That's correct. Currently, you do not. Um, but you do need a will right now to help yourself should something happen. That's correct. Right. So there's a level at which probably a trust makes sense, and there's a level where a trust does not make sense. Yeah, and complexity. You know, if you've got, uh, if you don't have any children, you're single. You know, you can by just simply changing title on your on your bank account and adding a, a transfer on death or payable on death, you can avoid probate. Right. Oh. So there are techniques that you can use without having to go down the expense of the living trust. Of the living trust. I had no idea. Interesting. Um, but if you've got a bit more complexity, have a level of assets that are a bit higher than what I see is most attorneys recommending a living trust sure. in, in California. Again, I'm not an attorney; I can't give legal no. advice. But that's in my experience what I what I see. We're not attorneys either, but we did play one on TV, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I played a realtor. <laughs> what are you talking about? Did you ever see those commercials for, uh, what is it, the Holiday Inn Express? Yeah. You know, oh I'm not an attorney, but I played one uh, on yes. TV. You know? yes, 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 Anyway, I digress. So that's, a, I would say that, that would be one thing for people who, who potentially already own. For people who are thinking about buying, you know, a great way to, to figure out how much house they can purchase is really going through sort of an, a planning phase of saying, okay, we make X amount of dollars, here are our assets, here's a cash flow, here's what we can afford, here's how much house we can buy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that might be a useful exercise for, for clients yeah. to go through. And, and someone who wants, so if, I'm, if we're just starting out and we have jobs and we have stocks and we want to use some of that stuff, you would probably have to send them to somebody that does that hourly thing to, to get that picture put together. Not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. 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 you take them in and at least help them out get going. 
Right. Yeah, good. Right. Well, it's good to know because a lot of people just don't go down that financial planning step. You know, they wake up tomorrow morning and say, we're going to buy a house and we got the stock in the bank. Yeah. Right. Uh, let's call Nicolette and go buy a house. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And right. it happens that way. It really does. I, I have had several buyers. Are the, are the funds liquid? Yeah. Some of them are. Right. Now we have tax implications. Mm. Right. So, you know, it's the stress of it becomes very quick in the process mm. of the 30-day closing time frame when it could be pre-planned. And obviously right. that stress level is way reduced going in, knowing and feeling empowered through the process. So, so the last piece that I really wanted to touch on today is the tax planning. Um, you, you mentioned that you've done tax planning in the past, and is that something you're still doing now? Still doing it. Yeah. That's a big part of our practice. Yeah. Right. And talk a little bit about that. What is tax planning? Yeah, so to me, tax planning is 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 looking at all of the the tax issues that a client faces, trying to to guess what we think is going to happen between now and year end, and really helping set expectation for clients. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, taking a look at those RSU vestings, how is that going to impact taxes? A big issue that I have with my tech folks is that when those RSUs vest. The company withholds at a federal level of 22%, but then right. they're really in a 32% oh. bracket, yeah, so it creates this enough. big gap. Yep. Mm. And then they get a big tax bill at the end of the year and yeah. say, what happened? Yeah, right? why? So yeah. It's, it's really helping the clients understand, hey, what can we do? Are there any t- uh, uh, tax reduction techniques that we should be thinking about? Um, you know, can we increase that withholding to avoid the big gap uh, at the end of the year? You know, what if, what if, can we itemize versus standard deduction? Mm-hmm. Um, are there other tax issues that we should be thinking about between now and year end that um, uh, we just need to be aware of so that we don't get a, a lovely tax bill uh, at, you know, April of next year? So, so I, I think it's safe to say that April 14th is not the day you're tax planning for 2022. No. no. <laughs> right. Oh, no, I get it. <laughs> well, neither is December 15th. Yes. <laughs> So yeah. maybe uh, for everyone that that needs this type of work, and I, I know every one of them probably needs help with this. I know tax season is tough for the tax preparers, but as a tax planner, they can come to you in January of, let's just pretend, 2023, and say, how do I help myself this year and next? Right. Yeah. Right. And that would probably be the wise way to go. Yeah, because maybe something is going to happen in 2024, right? And so we start planning on, um, you know, what what's happening this year versus 2024. Perfect example is if you have a retiree who's say 65 mm-hmm. and they haven't started Social Security yet, yeah. or maybe they're delaying to 70, and so they've got these five years gap years. Yeah. There's a potential there to do some Roth conversions. Oh, and bring their oh income, I know someone right off the top of my head. <laughs> bring a, it's called the bracket game, as I call it. So bring their level up to the the highest of the bracket without going into next bracket. Ah. So it'd be a, a, you know so it's a way for them to convert some money from a pre-tax bucket to a post-tax Roth um, before social security kicks in right. and their income jumps up. So that's, well, that, that's, that's a very a whole cool other category of people that could use your help because uh, you're an aging population and people are more people turn 65 in this this last year than any any yeah. other year. So yeah. these people are probably just thinking I'll be sixty six point six or seven, whatever it is nowadays, and just take my social security and I even think about how to help themselves in those years before they take full retirement or not right. full retirement. Yeah. When you take retirement, I don't even right. know. So that's a whole We're other realtors, area. we never retire. Well yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I often joke, I'm gonna have a listing appointment on the day I die. I know it. <laughs> Damn it. 
<laughs> but I mean, that seems to me that that's a whole whole big pot of people that could be helped with. When do I start looking at this? And yep. when do I start taking these things? And when yep. do I start uh, planning that piece out? And right. I'm going to tell you, I'm one of them. I haven't even thought about yeah. that. Yeah. I just know I'm going to be 66 this year, and I was going to wait till June close, and take, take my money. Close to full retirement, your FRA, as they call it, yeah. right? 67 and change. And so, yeah, um, yeah I just did this case uh, three weeks ago with a client where he's 64. Um, wife was a teacher, so she's got a pension, not eligible to collect Social Security. But we ran the analysis, and it, it just made sense for him to continue delaying to his full retirement age yeah. so we can do these Roth conversions. Wow. Yeah. So, and, and not to get into too much de- detail, um, and I'm, I'm talking about me. So I, I have a SEP IRA, SEP 401 case. Those are tax-free at the moment. You can take that money and move it into a post-Roth IRA? Well, or something else. Uh, they're not, they're, they're tax-deferred. Right. So if you pulled $10,000 out of your SEP IRA, because you're over 59 and a half, there would be no penalty. Right. But if you pulled that $10,000 out, it's going to be taxed as ordinary income. Okay, got it. So it'll be taxed at whatever federal and state bracket you're in. Yeah, 2%. Yeah. How much is it taxed when I get it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't worry, sweetie. I'm burning it all. <laughs> Actually, from an estate planning perspective, if you're in a if you're in a lower bracket and she's in a higher bracket, as an example, it would be it would be more tax efficient for you to do Roth conversions today because if she were to inherit that, that would be all tax free to her. Wow. No kidding. So. Okay, get together. Yeah, yeah. Well, get see, that together. And that's why we do these things. We all learn something, including so. you out there. We all learn something too. And then uh, I more than likely should be talking more with Ethan about <laughs> how my daughter gets the money tax free. Then we'll all be sipping wine. <laughs> and don't worry, Dominic, you're included. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure what else we should cover today. I think we covered a lot. I mean, the biggest picture that I got is we need to talk to him. Well, that too. And uh, folks out there need to talk to you. How do they get a hold yeah. of you? We as in we. Yeah, yeah just uh, orchardcitywm.com uh, is, is my website address. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. And there's you know awesome. information there and they could you know schedule an introductory call. We'll you're, you're, you're probably on LinkedIn and they can LinkedIn, find you there too. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, I hope that a lot of people take advantage of this conversation. I know I'm going to. Um, and uh, so will I. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's important. I mean, we just don't think of these things. We just keep going through life every day, taking what comes our way, and then yeah. something goes up, and you go, "What did I? Why didn't I do what he's talking about?" Yeah. And she's saying, "Why didn't you?" Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And next uh, month, we'll be back with two bottles of wine. And uh, I really appreciate if you could like, share, and what else we're we supposed to say? Like, share, follow, 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 follow us. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you.